This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. Jeff. Follow us on Twitter at Run Pod Option or email us runpodoption at gmail.com. We are your second favorite college football podcast. <laughs> Gentlemen, not first. Who's number one? Definitely not the third either. Listen, there's a, there's a lot out there, and we we suggest you try everybody out. But frankly, sometimes you just need simple, good fun with a little bit of analytics, a little bit of deep talk here. Inevitably, simple. inevitably talking about why Chip Kelly doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> it's, just kinda, it's just time is a flat circle with us. So let's get started. LSU defeats Auburn 23 to 20. LSU's hardest test yet. Hey, they got the win. Joe Burrow's doing his thing. Joe Burrow and Edwards Hilaire running the ball uh, both had a really good game against an incredibly tough defense. Jeff, have you seen Auburn play other than the Oregon game up to this point? I watched them uh, in a couple weeks after, and it's been against teams, I think Arkansas and another. So I haven't, I haven't seen them really match up against another premier team like they did against LSU. Arkansas is a fake team. Arkansas really is a fake team. That's actually that's great analysis, Kyle. <laughs> like truly. Um, so Auburn, you'll hear all season. Auburn's probably got the best four up front on defense and all around. It was very clear very early on that yes, Bo Nix was a freshman, and also that the offense really, really gets carried by the defense. It was nice to see LSU not get away from the pass, really. Like, they they ran the ball, but Joe Burrow was still incredibly accurate. He was still really, really good. And I have two interesting facts coming out of this game. One, Ed Orgeron is 7-1 in his last eight games against top ten opponents. Really? Did you ever think that the Cookie Monster <laughs> would go on a run like that? No. Um, Insane. I remember a couple of years ago where people are like, we need to fire him, get rid of him. I think it's, I think it was easy to say that though, because you don't see him in the locker room, I guess. And I'm sure there's plenty of interviews back out there, you know, with like reporters doing on-site stuff and they talk about how good he is with the team, how much everybody loves him. But the way he talks, and this is not to just be rude about the way he sounds or anything else like that. Even going back to the Cookie Monster comment. But, it sounds like you really hate his voice. I mean, it really... It, <laughs> no, I love it, honestly, because it's it, mm. it is proof that there are characters out there who can sound like that and still get to, like, the pinnacle of their respective industry. In this case, but, I think he's a great coach. But what you're saying is the pinnacle of that industry is PBS for him, because he's the Cookie Monster. Yeah, it's Ses- <laughs> but it's Sesame Street. <laughs> If they get a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, they're going to make sure there's a Sesame Street Cookie Monster float going through for the parade. And the uh, the sponsor for the bowl will now be the letter R. <laughs> <laughs> the second note I had was a day after this. You know what? Actually, it might have been today. LSU got a wide receiver commit, and his first name is 
D-E apostrophe coldest. He's the coldest. <laughs> and uh. I saw I saw Bomani Jones tweet about it saying, you've really got, you're really taking a chance naming your kid something like that. And being a top tier Division One recruit is probably the right step in that direction. But God, I want him to be good. And I hope they still have the same offense as he's going through school because... The uh, coldest is honestly maybe one of the coolest. No pun. One of the coolest names for a wide receiver out there. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay, yeah. It's better than DeAnthony, I think. The coldest. It's better than Odell. <laughs> what about Jarvis? Jarvis. Jarvis is tough to beat, but I, I don't know if Jarvis is like he overcame such a bad name or he made a name cool. Whichever one it is, not totally sure. About Dwayne Bow. Can we talk about Dwayne Bow? Dwayne Bow. What happened to Dwayne Bow? I don't know what. I mean, he went to Kansas City, right? Like right after. That's where he got drafted. Yeah, but he was like ugly Kansas City, like not fun Kansas City. Who was Kansas City's quarterback during that run? Was Smith. it early Alex Smith? Yeah. And before that, was it with like? Was it like? Oh God. Who was before was it, that? Oh. Uh, was it, uh, 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 oh my goodness gracious, he was an Alabama quarterback. Brody Croyle? What is that? Does that name oh, sound familiar? Oh, God. Oh, no, I don't want to hear that name ever again. Yeah, let's move on. So, Bloody Croyle. Yeah. Jalen Hurts and the Oklahoma Sooners travel to Manhattan, Kansas, where dreams go to die. And Kansas <laughs> State wins 48-41. to and Oklahoma's dreams went to die. Well, what it does do is it puts Baylor in the driver's seat for the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Did either of y'all get a chance to watch this game? The second half of it, which was oh, awesome. Man, it was the second half was wild. I caught what I could of it, and it was fun. Kansas State at one point had eight straight drives that they scored on, two field goals, six touchdowns, which is an incredible rate. Jalen Hurts didn't even necessarily have a bad game, but it was the fourth quarter that did it. And for as much credit as we give, and I think the nation gives Lincoln Riley for being probably the best play caller in America, I don't know what he was doing. Like doing the pitch, wide receiver throw, when the guy had 10 yards in front of him that he could have gotten, I, it just the whole, the whole thing looked like a mess from about the second quarter on. It felt like Kansas State was in the driver's seat pretty much the entire time, minus that Oklahoma comeback. Well, here's the other thing, though. Like, that defense I thought was better this year. I think I had heard where it was, like, round 30 in the country. Where was that? (laughs) Kansas State is not a dynamic offense. They don't have to be, though. I think think what they did – is not too different than what we saw Army do to Michigan this year and what Army did to Oklahoma last year. And Skylar Thompson, their quarterback, just like they never, it felt like they never adjusted for him at any point. It felt like a perfect storm. It was. I mean, Marty, you could probably speak to the first half more, but I just, Kyle, you talked about Oklahoma's defense. I mean, they just like totally regressed. Like, Skylar Thompson. <laughs> like, that's who we're, we're going to give up four touchdowns. touchdowns yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he was making like beautiful throws. When I turned it on, he was just like slinging it, which was crazy too. Because he's not, I mean, he's a decent quarterback, but he's only averaging like 170 yards a game. He's not, he's not chucking the ball over the field. So 
the best thing that uh, Kleiman and Kansas State did was, first of all, Oklahoma didn't get pressure on Skyler almost ever, it felt like. And whether that was the protection schemes that Kansas State was using, or if that was a matter of just kind of play design, where you had three running backs in the backfield and all the linebackers kind of crowded up and one just, it's a counter to the outside and he's got two running backs blocking for him and a wide receiver. And I think the tight end might've been on that spot. Like it just, the, the off, the off balance formations they were using, Oklahoma didn't adjust and Oklahoma didn't wrap up like they wrapped up against a lot of other teams this year. And Kansas state is going to Kansas state, you know, Bill Snyder would do this. It's not surprising that it was Kansas State. It's surprising that it happened in the way it did, which was them scoring 48 points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you really think that that they were going to set up uh, 48 points on them? I mean, that's that's crazy. No, because I never thought they were that dynamic of an offense. They haven't shown themselves to be. And I don't know if that's a credit of, again, that staff just doing simple, like the keep it simple, stupid bit. That's really what it felt like. It didn't feel like they were doing anything crazy. They were just going to play their game. And and I think it's probably the first time Oklahoma's faced maybe that strong of a running attack. And and we see kind of what happened. I'm sure that Grinch is going to do his best to adjust down the road. But you bet your ass that Baylor's going to be doing the same thing. Their oh, offense yeah. looks very similar. Another offense that looks really similar is Iowa State, who lost to Oklahoma State. We'll keep it really short. Brock Purdy threw it 62 times. He <laughs> threw three interceptions all in the fourth quarter. And I wanted to wrap it up because with the Big 12 mostly because we have Baylor in first, which we all saw coming. We have Oklahoma now in second. And then the fight for third is between Iowa State, Texas, Kansas State, TCU, and Oklahoma State, who are all within <laughs> a game of each other. And it's going to make these last few weeks really, really fun. And they're not the only conference. There's a lot of conferences that are going to have a really tight, fun race down the road. No, I'm here for it. Jeff, can you tell me whether or not Brian Kelly adjusted for the rain? But I can tell you that Brian Kelly killed a kid once, so. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. Did you, also, did you also see that tweet that says Brian Kelly just wants to put a kid up in the sky cam for this, during this rainstorm? Terrible. I'm sorry. Um, no, and I think you called it out and a couple other people. I didn't watch. When did they play NC State in a hurricane? Because people kept referencing that during the game. Was it last year or a few no, years? No, it was 2016, and it was at North Carolina State. And it was Deshaun Kaiser throwing 26 times. It's, I mean, it's one of the strangest things I've seen. Um, I know Ian Book has been, from what I understand, he was a top five passer in efficiency rating last year. So I kind of understand where they were going. They, you know, they knew they had a, some advantages in the passing game against Michigan. But I don't know if you guys saw the game. It was literally a raining sideways from the onset. And, Throw, trying to throw it that many times when your quarterback is already under pressure and kind of get a little trigger happy was um, not the smartest thing. And um, credit to Michigan because they, they shut down Notre Dame's running game early. But, yeah, it was uh, I was not expecting the final result to be what it was. It truly felt <laughs> like the I watched probably two whole quarters throughout the game just on and off, on and off, because it was on a second or third screen for me. And it felt like a team playing another team 
one team having adjusted for the weather and the other team not at all. And what Haskins and Charbonnet and Wilson were all able to do out of that backfield was, A, I thought Notre Dame's defense is better than that. But B, even with those conditions, it's not like it's incredibly easy to read either. They, they just felt like they were blowing Notre Dame off the ball regularly. I mean, they ended up running for, I think, over 300 yards, which is pretty crazy. Um, and that was – Notre Dame's defense is not elite, but I want to say they're like top 20, top 30. So they have a lot of NFL players. They're a good defense. Um, I'm not sure they even got off the bus. Like you could tell from the first snap, Michigan blew them off the ball, and it was like, okay, it's going to be – you know that kind of game. So, uh, reading the this is the uh, this is the Michigan that we thought we were going to see. It really is like all year. Yeah, Michigan in the last five quarters has looked fantastic. But it just begs the question. Like I was reading some hilarious Notre Dame message boards yesterday. Um, <laughs> Noted message board enthusiast Jeff. They're really not happy with Kelly, and he's fifty-eight years old. I think he still has. I don't know where he is in his contract, but they're under the impression that he's going to be locked in. Like, what do you guys think what their future is with him? I think their future with with him is, you know, middling seasons of, I can't believe I'm saying this is middling, but nine and three, 10 and two, not making the tournament, being there, just kind of a team playing their ridiculous independent schedule. And, that's it. I think that's that. what Kyle hit on there is the biggest disconnect for me. So we'll say and we'll talk about, you know, it's, it's great for a college football win so-and-so is good or competitive. And we've had now a competitive Notre Dame for a long time, but just not competitive enough to be in the national title scene except for last year. And then they got absolutely dunked on by Clemson. And... The disconnect for me comes down to them being an independent. Like, I simply just don't care. And I don't care that they can have a poor year one year, and if they decide to, have a schedule that is just incredibly weak and go undefeated. Like, that 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 bums me out. It bums me out more than yeah. Clemson not having a legit number two contender in the ACC. Because at least those teams are trying, but when you get a chance and you can... You can choose to schedule Ball State, and it's not just one of four; it's one of twelve that you can schedule at that level. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I feel for Brian Kelly, but I also think he's also like a a, a bad person. If <laughs> that, like, truly, I don't think he's a good person, and I don't think he's a good coach to play for, based off what I read just a little bit from former players. You're also starting to touch a little bit on my theory on Notre Dame and. How they're, they're they're kind of like the conference destructor, where they did this to the Big East, where they brought their school their their uh, other programs in to play every other sport, but didn't bring the football team in. They reaped the benefits of having their basketball team, their women's basketball team, uh, their volleyball team, teams like that in there, but never helped out the conference, and because of it. The Big East died as a, as a football conference. Is that, now we're doing it again in the ACC where they've got their basketball, lacrosse, women's basketball, teams like that. In the ACC, yes, they made a little bit of a, a contingency with, a, with the uh, football program where they have to play, I think, five games a year against ACC teams. But they're not actually in the conference. Well, lucky them because it's also the ACC. Like... 
Yeah, but they could have been the number two team in the ACC. Oh, yeah. Han- I, oh, I think hands down. Agreed. And instead, the ACC it. gets to flounder and Notre Dame doesn't get undefeated and thankfully suffer their second loss so we don't have to worry about them getting in the playoffs this year. Not this year, but next year when they're 10-1 and one and have wonderful wins over Duke. and Well, they won't get a, a chance to... Terrible Stanford team. They won't get a chance to play Michigan again until I think that... How many years is it, Jeff? That's 2033. So 13 years, so... Kyle's going to be close to 50. I'll be I'll be around 48-ish. <laughs> or no, that's not the right math at all. I'll be 45 either way. What no? no. I'll be 46. <laughs> I'm 33 now. It's going to be 13 so years. Yeah, but you're on the you're on the old side of it though. Like I just turned years. <laughs> Is that Benjamin Button? Reverse Benjamin Button? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I'm going to hit pause because I'm going to lie about my age for a few years. That's what Kyle hasn't adjusted for. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure, you're going to be 36. So Kyle, I know I know you were limited in some of the games you were able to watch because you were at a, uh, an all-important family reunion. Ah, uh, yes. So when is... It time to question whether Dino Babers is the right guy or not. Not yet. I mean, you're replacing most of the... Okay, you're replacing a quarterback right now in Eric Dungy, who was a gamer. Let's face it. He was a senior. He was a winner. Um, tough to replace a guy like that. He, he, he could have willed this team to win against an NC State or... Um, or Pittsburgh, but they don't have that with DeVito because DeVito's a sophomore. He's also getting killed back there. Get, uh, plays where Dungy would have extended extended it with his feet, that's not happening right now because DeVito's not that kind of quarterback. Did Dungy, now we have an offensive line that's terrible. You did, know. did Dungy mask maybe how bad that offensive line was last year with his ability? No, they, they lost a lot of people off that offensive line too. Like, they replaced, it. they replaced, I think, four people off that offensive line. Well, Florida State's pretty close. Uh, they're on the road to being bowl eligible. Syracuse gets to watch from home. But I do hope that they bounce back, if nothing else, because Dino Babers is uh, the opposite of Brian Kelly. Very good guy. <laughs> He's fun. He's got the RPO seal of approval. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Brian Kelly. That's what, what, a high, what a high bar. <laughs> well, Brian, uh, what Brian Kelly did at Cincinnati was truly great. Don't discount his Cincinnati run. Um, nothing that ever happens in Ohio counts. Well, that's probably a good thing for Wisconsin then, uh, because <laughs> Ohio State just oh, absolutely God. destroyed him. I, uh, I'll be honest, I only tuned back in in the second half because I heard what Chase Young was doing. And, and I want to I kind of focus on this. If you will, Jeff. So Jonathan Taylor had an awful game. J.K. Dobbins had a great game. Chase Young, I don't even have a comp for him because he was so insanely good against Wisconsin, and he's been so insanely good all year. So the crazy thing is, is I don't know if you guys ever watched either of the Bosa brothers play, but there were two Bosa brothers at Ohio State, and then Chase Young was like fourth string, which is insane. He, uh, I think he's on pace for, they said, 23 sacks this year if he continues. 
he's just he's a monster. I mean, he's got Larry Johnson coaching him. Larry Johnson is the longtime Penn State defensive line coach. It's been at Ohio State. So you mean the old power forward for the Carolina or for the Charlotte Hornets? You mean the former running back for the Kansas City Chiefs? <laughs> they might be related. Grandmama? Yeah, I mean Chase Young. Chase Young is an absolute machine, and Wisconsin didn't do itself any favors. They, you know, have a pretty good offensive line, I would say, but they kept trying to like chip Chase Young with a tight end, and he would just get destroyed too. So uh, it didn't didn't go too well. I saw it every which way. I saw them trying to chip him. I saw them trying to double team him. I saw them try to chip, followed by a double team, and, and every single time it felt like Chase Young was. He was that like two hundred and twenty pound uh, peewee football player that was just like just <laughs> flying through people. Wisconsin didn't have a chance at stopping him. And the the crazy thing about Ohio State is, um, I mean, J.K. Dobbins has been really good for three years. You guys know that. Chase Young is looking like a near Heisman candidate, and then Justin Fields is now like rounding into form. It's just. It's ridiculous. I mean, what what team has a five star transfer in and you know become even better than he was? Of course, Ohio State does. So I'm not salty, but I'm salty. They they truly are insane, and I don't know if people weren't buying on them because it's not Urban Meyer and it's still Ryan Day's first full year. But the one thing that feels different is Ohio State just doesn't let up, and they're so incredibly talented. I just I don't know what it looks like. Or what a team has to do. And maybe Michigan, Michigan's defense can kind of show us maybe how to <laughs> slow down the Dobbins and the fields of the world. I don't trust Harbaugh enough. I don't trust Shea to be able to get rid of the ball with Chase Young coming down on him either. No. They're almost going to have to run it for 300 yards, I feel like, <laughs> for them to have a chance. I mean, but you saw Ohio State played extremely well against Wisconsin's front four and or front five and – I mean, Taylor was shut down. Like he was, he did nothing. So yeah, it's they're they're crazy good this year. They're I mean, they're a legitimate title contender. Yeah, he finished with fifty two yards on twenty carries, and now we've got a Big Ten West where Minnesota is in complete control of their own destiny. Minnesota has Iowa, Wisconsin, and Penn State left, which are not all easy games, despite Wisconsin showing here, and Wisconsin still has a Iowa, Minnesota, kind of is their only two big tests, but. It's going to be interesting. I do feel bad if Minnesota decides to win the Big Ten West, just what Ohio State's going to do to them. Your bloodbath. I, you know what? If, and if it's not, then I am all in on P.J. Fleck, dude. If P.J. Fleck can get to the Big Ten title game and play Ohio State, and God forbid Ohio State loses to Michigan, so now they know they have to just absolutely sacrifice Minnesota to get in the playoff. <laughs> if Minnesota can keep it within... 24 points. PJ Fleck deserves coach of the year in that conference, hands down. Well, this is a question that has come up. If if Minnesota does well, you guys, like you're talking about, maybe they win 10 games. Does a bigger school come after him? Because you know Minnesota's going to pony up some money to try to keep him. Like, do you think someone else bigger comes after him? I think PJ, I think PJ Fleck knew. I, I think he wanted to go to Minnesota. Like he could have stayed at Western Michigan another year, and I know that one of the one of the points I've heard is he left Western Michigan because he also knew that that was the best team he's going to have for at least another two seasons, so he jumped when he jumped. 
But now that he's got the resume up north, I don't. What team? Notre Dame? Is it Notre Dame that gets him? <laughs> That's the only team I could think that that he would willingly sign up for because it seems like maybe his speed. But I, I well, don't. Does he want to stay in the in the uh, in the Midwest? Does he want to maybe venture out? Pac ten could be fun or Pac twelve. See, PJ Fleck and USC. Yeah. I actually love that. But can Trojans row a boat? If they put the sword down, sure. That's fine. What about with the sword? (laughs) Does the horse and the Trojan come out in a canoe and just like cruise out to the 50 yard line to throw the throw the sword in the ground? They're going to need somebody because their ship is far out to sea now sinking, taking on water. So USC's is. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Uh, that is actually that's just because California California is, is sinking into the sea. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a matter of location, location, location. <laughs> They're being weighed down by the uh, by the uh, pay to play <laughs> rulings. USC won a road game against Colorado. They probably shouldn't have needed to come back, but they did. And whoever inherits Keaton Slovis is in for a treat because he threw for four hundred plus yards. He had four touchdowns. Wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. had seven catches, 156 yards. Mostly that game was not really noteworthy, except that it was USC's first win on the road, and they have Oregon coming up next. And they're hosting Oregon. Oh, I still think Oregon gets them. So after, and and I'll kind of wedge these, because I I did want to kind of talk Oregon-Washington State. And, And I'll make a couple of notes. I don't know if either of you caught the game. But it was the two running backs. Washington State's Max Borgie and Oregon's C.J. Verdell that were the story of the game for me. And the other story was Washington State should have won this game by 10, but they dropped a touchdown. They dropped another touchdown that fumbled into an interception. They they really ended up losing in that game. So I think Oregon's there for the picking, and we know that USC runs a very similar offense to Washington State. And for Oregon to kind of show the the dents in their armor, and then travel to USC. It's a really interesting matchup for me. No, well, I think it's super interesting, but I still think that Oregon gets the better of them. Uh, just on the fact that I Herbert's dynamic, he's going to be able to do it. Herbert hits it like a switch. It feels like because he'll have a he'll have a spare game, a pretty spare game on you for two three quarters, and then when it comes down to it, he's really good. And then optic-wise, you know, you're playing USC, who is what everybody associates the Pac-12 with anyways, you know, well, for better if, or for worse. If and USC wins, it's I think they still would be first place in the South. And if Oregon wins, they pretty much wrap up the North. And that's pretty interesting because an Oregon win opens the door for Utah-Oregon uh, Pac-12 championship game. It's happening. <laughs> God, you know, I can't wait till we get our pick show because I might change. I'm going to change my mind five times between now and then. <laughs> oh, good. Let's uh, let's take this home with a few a few notes. I'm just going to ping through here. Y'all stop me whenever you're ready, okay? Western Michigan uh, hammered Bowling Green, and did you know? I guess you do because I immediately texted both of you afterwards that <laughs> Mike Allstott's son is the backup quarterback at Western Michigan. Does he have like the the biggest shoulders of all time as a quarterback? He, dude, he looks big. He's a big. He's a. He looks like Blake Bortles did in college. Like he's a solid man. And well, that's a great comp. 
I'm sure he loves. I'm sure that he's real happy that you just said that. I'll tell you what, uh, Blake Bortles at UCF was insanely good. I watched a lot of their games, and they were really, really, really. He was really great for, in college. How did he forget to throw? How to throw a football? I don't know. Uh, system, <laughs> maybe. <I don't> know. <laughs> uh, so his name's Griffin Allstott. He's a friend of the show now because he uh, he liked he liked the tweet. But also since then, there's been four more Western Michigan players that have liked it. So uh, being Syracuse's key victory this year, it seems kind I love of ironic. You, Tim it kind of it seems kind of ironic that our number one fan base is the Western Michigan football team. Hey, you know, if they want to pay for us to go up to Kalamazoo, is no. Don't even. <laughs> I can't. No, you know what? I'm here for it. Let's have, let's have Jeff. It's a homecoming for Jeff. I have family in Kalamazoo. Let's make it happen, Griffin. I'll stop. Well, also they can uh, they can put their uh, statue up to me for our NCAA. Uh, 14 season where I was the OC for Western Michigan led him to great things. You know what? I think I did that same save before too. And they were a lot of fun. They were because it was, it was PJ flex last season that it was that roster and they were really good. Yeah. But I was the OC. So it was fine. It was even better. Penn state hammered Michigan state, uh, in the best Michigan state environment, the rain, uh, tied in Pat Freermuth. Am I saying that right? Jeff? Ugh. About right. All right. He was a star. Three touchdowns. Arizona fired their defensive coordinator after they gave up 41 points to Stanford. TCU beat Texas, and Todd Orlando whoa, cannot whoa, whoa, whoa. Think- Who gives up 40, 41 points to Stanford? Uh, that would be defensive coordinator Marcel Yates, who was Rich Rod's, <laughs> de- who was Rich Rodriguez's defensive coordinator. That someone thought, you know what? Let's keep him and see what he's got. And uh, <laughs> and he made it just a little over half the season. Uh, another defensive coordinator who struggled was Todd Orlando as TCU ran all over Texas, really. Max Duggan had 273 yards through the air, two touchdowns. He had 72, 72 yards rushing, uh, another rushing touchdown. Max Duggan, as he grows, as Max, Dub, as Max Duggan gets older and Spencer Sanders with Oklahoma State gets older, uh, Big 12 quarterbacks are going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for what that's going to look like. I only want this to happen if he walks out of the uh, walks out of the locker room with a two by four over his uh, shoulder. Yeah, Mac. Uh, it's Maxaw. Maxaw Duggan. Maxaw Duggan. Yeah, yeah. Maxaw Duggan is the nickname to go along with uh, Jack the Snack Plumber. Yep, oh. they can fight each other in the summer. It'll be great. Texas Tech <laughs> lost to Kansas for the first time since two thousand one. Kyle, did you know how this game? Do you know how this game ends? How? Uh, Jeff, do you want to do the honors? So, I'll go ahead and explain it because I can't even do it justice. Okay, no, it's okay. It's cool. It's it's a really difficult one. So, the important thing to remember here is Texas Tech was winning. And Kansas drives the field. And they go to kick the go-ahead field goal, right? The Mad Hatter is going to do it again. He couldn't couldn't hit it against Texas. Kansas is going to try to win this ball game. And Texas Tech blocks the field goal. The ball's spinning around. I can't tell you the Texas Tech defender who picked it up, but they picked the ball up and felt the need to return it. And as they start running left, about mm, five yards horizontally across the field, 
they look back and decide to toss the ball in an effort to lateral and maybe do like a, a kick six situation. Important, Always smart. Important note, Texas Tech was winning, and this would have ended the game. Instead, instead, he laterals it to nobody, and a Kansas player jumps on it, and Kansas now has the ball back, and they kick the game-winning field goal to win. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Just an absolute roller coaster of emotions for, for Jayhawks fans who have to be higher now than they have been since uh, Todd Reesing, probably. <laughs> well, now they're, and they're also looking at a reality where their basketball team is going to be throwing all kinds of like legal shit this year. So that'll be fun. They're having all kinds of fun with their, uh, with their emotions right now. Les miles just winced at the sign at the the words legal shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Since they fired their offensive coordinator, the Jayhawks are averaging 43 and a half points per game, which is almost uh, a full 20 points better than their average across their first five games. That includes a loss to coastal Carolina where they only had seven points. Uh, Coastal Carolina is a traditional power, so. We have, I'm going to save the ACC Coastal note for the review show. I'm sorry, for the pick show. But I do want to say just two things before we get out of here. And if you all have anything else, please feel free. Uh, UCLA beat uh, ranked Arizona State. And Chip Kelly, yep, Chip Kelly has now won two in a row. And his offense seems to be getting a hang of things. So they still have a chance to win the Pac-12 South, as crazy as that sounds. Also, this weekend was the first time since November 17th, 2007, that Kansas, Rutgers, Illinois, Indiana, and UConn all beat FBS teams on the same day. Rutgers scored 44 points. Thanks, uh, Hugh Freeze. (laughs) Do they really want him to be their head coach now? (laughs) He's out of his his possible bed, Kyle. He's ready. It's a quid pro quo. He's like, listen, I'll give you guys a win, but you've got to hire me. Please get me out of this place. Hey, Liberty is going to go. I hate Lynchburg. He says with like the automated like wheelchair voice system because it's how he's getting around now. He's Piscataway dreaming right now. (laughs) Said no one ever. No one wants to go to Piscataway. I watched actually a pretty good amount of that game. And Liberty has a receiver that I I can't remember his name, but he's really good. I don't know how Rutgers... I really don't know how Rutgers scored that many points because it didn't feel like they were in that much control other than just Liberty, I think, turning the ball over, just looking they, poor. They hadn't hit their point allotment for the year. They needed to really make a dent into that. Yeah, who would have guessed that Liberty would have gotten like a, like 15 minutes over the course of the season on this show? <laughs> and it not just all be you freezes uh, seats and the way he gets around the field. <laughs> yeah, his sitting uh-huh. situation. Jeff or Kyle, do y'all have any specific notes you want to talk about before we get out of here and uh, and say goodbye to our listeners? No specific notes. Bye-bye. I do just have a small piece of wisdom from our friend Chip Kelly. So uh. he, he was asked about uh, his team controlling their destiny in the South after they won, and his answer was, quote, no, to be honest with you, grammatically, destiny is a predetermined set of events. <laughs> a predetermined set of events, you can't control it. Think about that one, end quote. Uh, stand-up guy, Chip Kelly. Kelly's point five each Let me tell you. Chip Stradamus. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, y'all enjoy the rest of y'all's week, and you'll have the pick show coming out from us on Wednesday. 
Say goodbye, everybody. Kyle, you say it again. Uh, bye. Is Jeff just going to lay out again? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.